Welcome everyone to Pensa Politics with Mr. Watson. I am your host, Christian Watson, also known lovingly as Mr. Watson. It is so good to be with you guys today. We've got quite a bit to cover. Um, I, you guys have probably noticed that I have not been doing a few shows this week. It's primarily because I have been incredibly busy. I have I had a trip to South Carolina recently to go see a, a reverend who has been instrumental in the fight against bigotry and racism in this country. And we'll be talking about him too. He actually had a movie made about him that was, that was, I think, no, no not, I think that was not produced, but Forrest Whitaker, who was a phenomenal actor, starred in that movie. I want to say it was co-produced by him or something like that, but I'm not entirely sure. So Forrest Whitaker and a few other folks who were just great actors co-starred in that movie with him portrayed him in that movie and then you know just meeting this man in the flesh was something beyond real it was unreal really it was it, it was absolutely phenomenal it's, it was like a spark of illumination just came down from the sky and hit me in my chest and went through my body and just just filled it with so much so much substance, so much sustenance, so much cosmic sustenance, which made me want to have more and more and more, more of that sort of divine wisdom. That is what I felt when I talked to Reverend Kennedy. David Kennedy is his full name, Reverend Kennedy. That's, that, that's what I felt. We'll talk about that. Uh, the President of the United States has not been happy very much. Uh, his, tax his tax returns are now, according to the courts, they can now, they can't be blocked by him anymore. They have Remanded the decision back down to the lower court so they can have a conversation about it. Uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about that and what that means for the general political mode right now because of, there's the election coming up in a few months and President Trump's not going to be very happy. His supporters not going to be very happy, and so we're going to try to work through this in a nonpartisan way because I know there are Trump supporters that watch me. And I love you guys. So let's work through this in a nonpartisan way so we can see what's going on here. See so we can see what's going on, and then we're going to talk about racism, guys, because again the visit. Uh, the visit I took to Reverend Kennedy really, really, really made me think about a few things. Talk about racism in all its many dimensions right here on today on Pensive Politics. So let's talk about the president first. So today, the Supreme Court in a 7-2 to landslide decision decided that the president's tax returns can no longer be blocked by him or his attorneys. And they have opened that matter up for discussion down to the lower courts. So it's still an open matter, and this is why there was a opinion column in the New York Times saying Donald Trump is the winner in this debacle, because there is still, still being, there's still a fight going on, and the president can keep claiming that there is prosecutorial misconduct, and there's presidential harassment going on. The longer stuff like this happens, because the, uh, the his tax returns have been litigated since 2015, since the moment he walked, he came down an escalator in Trump Tower and announced his presidency, his tax returns have been scrutinized and attacked consistently. And I'm going to be honest with you, it does not help his opponents to attack his tax returns. It doesn't. It doesn't. Because number one, here's why it doesn't help. Number one, it's a character attack. Because a tax return wouldn't be a of, of consequence if there wasn't something in them that could signify bad character. So the Democrats are hoping there is a character flaw that they can exploit in the tax returns. Even though they have made Trump out to be a villain for the past four years, I would imagine they already have a cacophony of supposed character flaws they could use. But no, they want to go and, 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 and attack his finances. And number two, the finances 
or what a lot of folks think. Watch me. Give a snapshot into your life. And this is a sort of societal viewpoint. It is. Societal viewpoint. Watch me. We have a society that is predicated upon you lending and lending. No, you lending and you borrowing from people who are not you. People who do not know. And then being responsible with their money, the fruits of their labor, so that they can prove that you're a responsible person. This is an idea called credit. Many of you probably already know it. It's funny. <laughs> you are responsible for someone else's resources. And if you treat those resources responsibly, you are deemed a credible person. Watch this. Because that supposedly indicates how you treat your own money and your own financial dealings. Even though your own money and your own financial dealings are much closer to you, mean much more to you than someone else's money do. Why, why do you think Americans have so much credit card debt? Why do you think, okay, if you had a debit card and it's full of money, you would naturally behave a little bit more responsibly for towards that money than money that someone else gives you that they loan you. That you can just pay off $50, $60 because we have a society so predicated upon trustworthiness externally. But trustworthiness is an external, it is a, an internal thing, guys. So if the president is a trustworthy person or not, which is ultimately the fundamental question of his tax returns, relies in his heart. It's not relying on his finances. So the Democrats are, are looking for, they're going so wrong with this. They're looking for the wrong thing, or the right thing maybe, in the wrong area. You will not find anything meaningful in Donald Trump's tax returns. Oh, what if he what if he did stuff with the mob? Okay, so what? So what? He, he was a real estate contractor who had a lot of people deal with him that he may not know. They may have some criminal affiliations. This is the problem with our modern politics. And I'm not, I'm not trying to defend Donald Trump. I'm trying to be fair here. The problem with our modern politics is that we cannot stand to bear honesty in our own dealings, yet we will seek it out in other people. The Democrats, or the Democratic Party, uh, party elite, I should say, do not have any interest in finding honesty and truth to attack Trump. They want to find information they can use to craft political narratives. There is a reason why so many people today have been saying that this is a a victory for Democrats. Oh, it's a victory for Democrats, even though Congress can't even access tax returns. The court explicitly said, Congress, you may not access tax returns. Prosecutors can. In Manhattan, they can because they have a legitimate criminal interest. But Congress, you cannot. But that's not what matters. What matters is the Democrats won, so to speak. Because we have such a shallow view of politics, a shallow view of governance, a fundamentally shallow view. So if you want to actually engage the president on some of the improprieties or supposed improprieties, it's said, then you must do so with the divine alchemy of honesty. Because honesty, as it interacts with politics, is, div is, is divine and it's an elixir. An elixir is a mixture of things. When you mix honesty and politics, you're mixing a bunch of other things. You're mixing political interests, political expediency, um, um, all, all kind of things that, that refer and hone the well 
put together operations of a political system of which honesty may not be may not be indispensable. So you have to understand that. You have to engage in honesty, but you're not. You are so obsessed over someone's finances as a sort of window into his soul, opposed to what he's actually done in office. Actually look at what he's done in office and engage that. Do not engage with how well his finances are, because that is ultimately irrelevant. <laughs> ultimately irrelevant. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are our finances are predicated upon a few things that our trustworthiness or honesty ideally shouldn't be. Our finances are predicated upon particular circumstances that may compel them into use. And they're also predicated upon transactions. So finances are ultimately transactional in nature, are they not? Even if you're not selling anything. Your bank, you're often transactional with your bank. You give them money. They give you a place to keep it. They take the money. They have a reserve requirement on hand, which is why you still have money in your account. They still have, they have credit as a bank. I mean, it's very transactional. But honesty, watch this. Honesty is not transactional, guys. Well, actually, unfortunately, there are individuals in society that have made honesty transactional. Oh, oh, I'll be honest. Give me something, though. But that's not honesty if you have to trade it off for something. That's opportunism. And opportunism is the death knell of honesty. Opportunism is what makes virtuous men go down the tubes. Opportunism is that which engages with the lower order, primal order, things about humanity. Opportunism is why we have such a crooked political system. Opportunism is why some of the greatest moral tragedies in the history of this world were perpetuated. Because someone saw an opportunity to exploit something. But, oh, but no, 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 no. Let's... Let's step into that boat, that idea, which says transactionality equals virtue. Transactionality equals trustworthiness. Transactionality equals honesty. Let's step into that idea, and let's use the idea to indict a president. <laughs> That's what you're doing. At the root of finances is transactionality. And by trying to use this man's finances to indict him, you are insinuating that trustworthiness and virtue is predicated upon transactionality, and that is a baleful idea. That's an idea that I think is terrible. It's terrible because virtue is not supposed to be dependent on the whims of others. It is rooted within you. It is your standard of value, virtue. It involves other people. But it's not dependent or contingent on what they think. Virtue is dependent and contingent upon what is true in your heart, what is true in general, and what you root down from the general to the specific in your heart, in your body. That is virtue. It is not virtuous to pretend that you will one-up this president or any president in general by attacking transactionality or trying to attach transactionality onto him. It won't work. It not only will it not work, 
But it is principally corrupt. It is principally corrupt. Stop it. Money is not everything. It's a tool, but it is not a gateway into our souls, into our hearts. Money is an externality that we harness sometimes for value. But value itself, which is the medium through which money is used for, through which it's exchanged, value itself, my people, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, value itself is found in the soul. Value itself is found spiritually. When I say spiritually, I mean in a sense, in a realm in which we cannot necessarily detect. Value itself is not dependent on this or my phone or my microphone. This this provides a value to me, but the value is spiritual in the sense that it is beyond this world. It is beyond what we can see. You don't have to be religious to accept this point. It is beyond what we can see, what we can appreciate. It is invisible until I manifest and root the value into this earth. The value this provides me is invisible until I manifest and root the value of it through this camera to you. Value is found within us. You gotta understand that if you're ever going to understand the true nature of politics. This corrupt, necromantic demon we call American politics that is walking around, that is draining the soul out of people. That's making, that making sons turn against daughters and, and neighbors against people. That is just making everyone lose their damn minds with partisanship. This beast needs to be slayed in the light of the truth. And the truth is, we are weighing our politics by a wrong standard. You are weighing this president by a wrong standard. You are weighing everything in which you engage in the political space by a wrong standard. You are weighing it by a standard of expediency in what sounds good within the space in which you exist, but you are not at all considering the actual truth. I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting so tired of this. Because there are just there are so many conversations we can be having right now. Police reform, militarism, balancing the budget. So many conversations. And yet we choose to obsess over an individual's tax returns when we have three or four years now of this individual's actions in a certain office that we can use. We can talk about, but no, tax returns is disgusting. I thoroughly rebuke that transactional nature of these arguments. It has no place in the honest discussion. None at all. Okay, let me, let me. Move on from this topic before I go off again. I'm not trying to do this, but it just boils my blood that political opportunists will demean certain tools that are meant to be used to have conversations about original truth and just degrade that with their nonsense. It boils my blood. It makes me so furious. Speaking of another thing that boils my blood. Nothing that just makes me go crazy. Racism. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. My views on race are very, very, very unorthodox. I think, let me start by saying this. I think race is an illusion. It's an illusion that is used to neatly divide people into certain arbitrary categories for certain political ends. It's an illusion 
that destroys, degrades, and corrupts our individualities as human, as human beings. It's an illusion which has parsed us into using collectivistic words and phrases to describe social phenomena. It's an illusion that has convinced us that social phenomena is actually predicated upon itself. It is a daring illusion. In so many erudite minds, the critical race theorists, the, inter the intersectionality theorists, all of them, they just defeated. They bowed onto the illusion. They're acolytes of the illusion of the dark god of race. They feed it. They thrive off of it. They enjoy it. They love it. And they love it because like all illusions, it paints a good picture and in some instances it delivers. But what they don't know and what would be their downfall and the downfall of everyone else who, who just bows down and is reverent towards this illusion, who grovels before this illusion, what they don't know is that when the illusion comes crashing down, their perception will warp. It'll shift. It'll, 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 it'll transform. It'll make them wonder, question the nature of the world. Now, like any illusion though, race is dangerous still. And there are people who will take that illusion and they will use it to produce hateful comments and hateful thoughts. Talking about racism. Racism certainly still exists in the 21st century. This is not a controversial statement. However, do I believe that race manifests to such an extent that it is constantly holding African Americans or other minorities back from being able to fulfill their highest potentials, to, 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 to unlock their inner light, to, as Emerson said, adhere to the sanctity of their mind. No, I don't. I do not. This is the idea called systemic racism. I don't necessarily believe in reports of systemic racism as they have been stated. I do think in the past, and even a little bit right now, there have been instances of institutions orchestrating racist actions. But this idea that there is this amorphous glob that is ensnaring the limbs and wills and and, and divine actions of African Americans or others because of their race that is consistently oppressing them, is victimizing them. It comes from mythology, a convincing mythology, an interesting mythology, but a mythology that neglects the self, goes towards the other, and imprints itself firmly in the forgotten. Let me say that again. A mythology that neglects the self, goes towards the other, and imprints itself firmly into the forgotten. But we're not forgotten. There was an old gospel song my grandmother used to sing. When I am not forgotten, I am not forgotten, God knows my name. I am not forgotten, God knows my name. And regardless of where you come on the religious spectrum, or where you are emerging from on the religious spectrum, regardless, this message is consistent, I think. We are not forgotten because there is only a single unique space for the kind of person you are in the universe. Systemic racism cannot be true right now. Or if it is true, it cannot be as, as they say it is. Because there are so many manifesting their wills without great impediment to the effect of their race. There's impediment to other things, of course. Yeah, I mean, if you were born to a poor family, you're going to have a little bit hard time. 
doing things, but you can still do it. Yeah, if you have a if you have hostile parents who don't like your sexuality, don't like what you're doing, don't believe in it. Yeah, it could be hard. Life is a struggle. Life is a conflict. Life is conflict, actually. You have to be a warrior to survive. But these things that are inherent to life have nothing to do with the color of your skin in 2020. Nothing. At least not on a systemic level. But on an individual level, <laughs> on an individual level, racism is certainly alive and well. And it's evil. I had the phenomenal opportunity to talk to Dr. No, Reverend David Kennedy. Reverend Kennedy is the head pastor of New Missionary Baptist Church, South Carolina, Clinton, South Carolina. Uh, born in Lawrence, South Carolina. Uh, he is a very, very, very active and outspoken civil rights activist, pastor, who in 1996 or 97, either one of those years, spoke out resolutely against the construction and the maintenance of a Ku, a Ku Klux Klan museum. The Klan is a bunch of bunch of illusion, illusion-fearing zealots, what they are. A Ku, a Ku Klux Klan museum was in downtown Lawrence, South Carolina. And Reverend Kennedy said, you know what? This is wrong. I'm against this. And in principle, I agree with him. And guess what? He didn't try to use the state to shut down the business, which would be wrong. He used the community. He used social action to mow down this building's racist tendencies. This building was called the Redneck Shop. The Redneck Shop. And it was essentially a memorial to the Klan. And so Reverend Kennedy protested and protested and did all kind of things. Yeah. Um, he uh, had a chant. A chant that he actually invoked my name in when I went to go see him last night. Uh, me and the two people I was with, he called us a Super 3. Super 3, Super 3, we're gonna pump, pump it up. I was kind of embarrassed when he started singing because I'm like, what the heck is he saying? <laughs> But Reverend Kennedy was great. Super three, gonna pump a pump it up, and all that kind of good stuff. And he would back then. He would chant during his protests. He would chant like chant like that. Pump, pump, but pump it up. He would chant like that. It was awesome, man. It was awesome. But amid his chanting and his in his quest for justice, he was attacked by the Klan. Police officers who were a part of the Klan actually tried doing a raid on his house. Nearly. Uh, killed him and his wife. Was, I mean, he had to cover his children. Him and his wife had to cover their children with their bodies so they wouldn't die. All kind of stuff that would sh shake the consciousness of, of most of us these days. All that kind of stuff just, I mean, it, it shook him and it made him wonder. Well, you know, actually, it didn't, it didn't make him wonder. It made him more stalwart in his resolve. Oh, yeah. Made him more stalwart in his resolve to fight for justice. And I appreciate that. I divinely appreciate that. Because, folks, even in 2020, there are instances of individual racism that can shake the lives of people who look differently than you or who might look the same as you. It doesn't, it's not pervasive, I don't think. It doesn't exist on an institutional level. But on an individual level, it, it does exist because there are folks who are so bound by an illusion that they cannot see beyond it. There are folks who are so bound by the illusion of race that everything they see 
whenever they see a person who is of the race they despise, they don't see that person. They see a group. They see a, 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 a group century, so to speak. Not a group individual, a group century. Which is odd because groups are constitutive individuals, but they see a group century. Oh, and they associate every single problem they have with your skin color with you. It's a shame. It's a vile ideology. And Dr. Kennedy was at the forefront of it. And of course, he eventually bought the Klan shop, and now they're trying to convert it into a museum for cultural diversity, which I think is a very virtuous idea. Look, cultural diversity, I think pluralism is a great thing for the cultivation of the cosmopolitan mind. It should not exist at the detriment of certain individuals, of course. But if... Look, if traditions change due to increasing cultural diversity, so be it. So be it. If your ideas are so fickle that you cannot defend them amid change, amid different ideas, then guess what? Your ideas don't deserve to be around. America has endured for so long because its idea of liberty and freedom is so universal across cultures that people come to this country to embrace those things. Cultural pluralism is a strength for our ideas. They incorporate the fullness of our ideas. So this idea that multiculturalism or whatever is destroying America is nonsense. They, em they, embol they embolden this country. They embolden the spirit of this country, I should possibly say. They embolden the individuals in this country. Those who are willing to recognize their fruit, the fruit of their labor. And so I want you guys to think, what can I do in my life? To correct not just racism, but in a broader sense, any prejudicial feelings that I have towards anyone or any group or any idea, whether it's people who are big or fat, whether it's people who don't look particularly attractive, whether it's people who have yellow teeth, whether it's people who have long hair, whether what regardless, what can I do to correct my prejudicial thinking? People in a hoodie, whatever. What can I do? Because the moment you do that, the moment you embrace the divinity of the individual is the moment you begin to see truly what the human experience is about. You begin, you become a little bit more fully human. You become a little bit more fully embodying that human spirit yourself. You enrich yourself. And when you enrich yourself, people, in that human experience, what you do is so divine and so special. What you do when you enrich yourself what you do is you find out a little bit more about who you are. I've always said we can find who we are in other people. Absolutely. We can absolutely do that. But the question is, do we have enough introspection to want to do that? That's the question. And a lot of the people are afraid of seeing themselves in other people. You know why? Because it makes them think less of themselves. You are a unique soul. You are a divine soul. But within that divinity, that uniqueness, it's similarity. Mm-hmm. 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 Because fundamentally, people, we are all human beings. And as human beings, fundamentally, we have a similarity. Even if the similarity you find through outward viewing is simply, hey, that's a human being as well, you will have one. You will have one.
So go ahead and win, people. Go ahead and beat superstition. Go ahead and beat false collectivistic mindsets. Go ahead and slay those dragons of mediocrity that have been squelching you with their fiery bluff. Go ahead and just put a tsunami of individualism, a tsunami of illumination, a tsunami of purifying light and just wash away their sustenance. Go do it and free yourself from those mind forge manacles, as one of my friends would say. Those of you who are in the movement, the liberty movement, will know who this is. Go do it. Go do it. Because the sooner you do it, the sooner you can be more fulfilled in your life. The sooner you break away from that which holds you to a single idea, that which holds you to a single a single prejudice, that will hold the sooner you break away from that shit, the sooner that you come out of that stuff, the sooner you as a person will advance, the sooner you will be able to show this world more of your God-given ability. The sooner, the sooner, the sooner. The sooner. And guess what? When you are able to, I will be so happy because I will be able to say that you are a part now of that illuminated family. You are a part now of those potential recognized human beings. You are a part now of those of those goal seekers, of those movers and shakers. You are a part now of a particular class of people who can go out and spread their essence to other people to help them. You are a part of something special now, people. The moment you let go, what is holding you back? All right, guys. Got it going. But I love you all. Stay tuned for some great interviews. We got some great people coming up. Uh, but until next time, guys, I beg of you. I implore you. I beseech you. And I say so, so lovingly. Stay pensive.